0: fairly naturally if you've grown up within a Christian church that seems to be a fairly natural thing to think about because in our minds when we have this idea of word we automatically relate that to Jesus that person who was born 2,000 years ago God who came died on the cross to um, to save us from our sin to reconcile us to God to bring us into his family and therefore when we read it it's almost like it says to us in our thinking in the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God And Jesus was God. And and we get from this our concept of deity, that Jesus was God. One of the things that we've failed to miss is is all of the, the deeper meaning that's behind that word, word. If you've been in the church long enough, you know what that stands for in Greek, which is the word logos. And for the people whom John is writing to for the first time, he's actually trying to give them... Not just the comment that Jesus was God, although that's what he wants them to understand. He wants them to realize that Jesus was God. He's trying to give it a whole lot more meaning than that, a whole lot more depth. And I think sometimes we have failed to remember everything that John actually wants to communicate in this passage. He's writing to people who are Hebrews, who are Israelites, who have grown up with the law of Moses. They understand God speaking to Abraham. They've heard the story of creation, that God spoke and things came into being. And in the Hebrew mind, the word of God was something that they understood already. It was the activity of God in the world. Isaiah says that God's word does not go out from him, that it achieves what God wants to be achieved. In other words, when the Apostle John is writing to the church, the Hebrew people, they're nodding their heads. They understand already, even without a recognition of Jesus, that God's word is that which in the world achieves the purpose of God, that was creative, that brings about all the activity that God wants. The very things he says happen because of his word. It was not just a spoken thing. It was almost a deed in and of itself. But most of the people that the Apostle John is writing to are actually more likely to be Greek. And the actual word logos is a Greek word. And for the Greeks, it also had a meaning, which John was trying to get them to realize that this meaning was also Summed up in the person of Jesus, about six centuries before the birth of Christ, a Greek philosopher had come to recognize in his thinking, and he passed this on to Greek thought, that the world is a world of chaos and it's ever-changing. He coined a phrase that you could never step into the same river twice. He said the second time you step into it, it's changed. The water's moved on. Life is just completely flowing, and it's it's random and it's chaotic, and people are random and chaotic. And where does order come from? And so he turned this term logos. He said the word is that which brings order out of chaos. That which gives meaning to ...to this chaotic life in which we live in. That which... ...sets purpose... ...in the universe. And so for both the Hebrew listeners... ...and the Greek people who were listening... ...when John says... ...in the beginning was the Word... ...they're nodding their head. And the Word was with God. Well that was a little bit weird... ...but they understood that God and His Word... ...were closely related and the word was God. And he's going to be pointing out, and this is where we're skipping a whole lot, pointing out that the person of Jesus is the one who brings about the activity of God, is in fact God himself, brings order out of chaos, meaning in life, morality, action. He goes on to talk about the fact that Jesus is the one who owns everything. I was thinking about it like this during the week, you guys and me, we're we're products of our culture. We're products of the time in which we live. We're different from other cultures. The way that we dress, the way that we cut our hair, (laughs) the way that we eat. The things that we eat, we're, we're a product of our culture. But it's not only true in the outs, the outside things, the physical things, but it's true in the way that we think about stuff, and particularly within the church, it's true. When, when we hear the word Jesus, when we think about Jesus, in Australian spirituality, in Australian churches, over the last I don't know six, seven decades, there's been a shift in a In what that means when you talk about Christ. We think about someone who was born 2,000 years ago, who came, lived in Israel, was crucified on a cross, having done and taught many wonderful things, so that we might have a Savior. And that's true. When we think of Jesus, we think of the one who comforts us when we're sad and distressed, and lonely. We think of the one who, when we do things that are wrong, when we go against God's law, welcomes us with arms of grace and forgiveness and acceptance. And that's true. But often with the church in Australia, I suggest in the West, that view of God colours everything that we think of Christ. And what John wants to point out here is that it's so much bigger than that. Jesus, the one he's going to be pointing to all through this gospel, is the one who made the universe. The one who brought the universe into being. The one who holds the universe in his hands. We've just given our offering. We... Sometimes think, not saying you do, but often I think it's the attitude. We have come and given to God some of what is ours to say we love you or we care for you. John says, no, everything you gave him was his already. He wants us to recognize that when he's talking about Jesus, he's talking about the one who owns every breath you breathe, every step you take every mouthful of food that you swallow, all the clothes that you wear, your time, your family, your circumstances. That's who he's talking about. And John is trying to tie into people's minds that God, who made everything, has come to dwell amongst us. He's pointing to that. Not just a loving saviour, but the Lord of all the universe has come that we might have a relationship with Him. He's going to say that the Word became flesh. He's going to say the Word is Christ. That wasn't a foreign concept. Even Plato, when he's talking through what the philosophers said earlier than him, he said someday it may be that the Word takes on physical form to explain order in the universe. It was a concept that they might be able to somehow relate with. But you see, when Jesus came, everybody looked at him a little askance. Verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. Why didn't the world recognize him? This is what John wants to do. He wants to point to Jesus and say, He's the one. He's the Lord of the universe. He's the one whom you owe everything. Well, Jesus was born in Israel in a little backcountry town. He probably spoke like a backcountry person. I don't know what you think of as backcountry. When I grew up in Townsville, it was Chatters Towers, <laughs> Cloncurry. <laughs> what is it here? Dolby? It's still, God love you. He said, Townsville. Where everyone just speaks that little bit slower, has that little bit of an accent. I have a cousin. Second cousin. Something like that. Country Victoria. A very intelligent man. On his property, he's built his own hydroelectric scheme. Built his own house. I mean, he's got the brains. But he speaks... Like this. It's really hard to have a conversation. But that's just who he is. It's what he's grown up with. Well, when everyone heard Jesus speak, he was a country boy from Nazareth. Someone's pointed out that he was homeless and unemployed, never wrote anything down never travelled more than 50 kilometres from where he was born. And John comes and bears witness to Jesus and says, he's the Lord of the universe, he made absolutely everything. And his own received him not. They didn't see that. (laughs) They saw a country, I was going to say country hick, but that sounds bad with my name. (laughs) They just saw some backwards person, probably with a bit of a country accent, who came from, well, if you've got to admit, a fairly shady background. I mean, his mum, well, she said that she was a virgin, and he obviously was slow because he believed her. There was tarnish in his background. And John says, that person is the word. Not just a good man, not just a great man, not just someone who's going to come and save you from your sin, but he made all that. A preacher by the name of Kuiper he says that when Jesus comes back and he raises his hands out, he's going to say, it's mine, all Mine. What John wants us to recognize is that the Jesus who came in Israel 2,000 years ago made everything. He was God from the beginning of time. When everything folds up, he will still be God. And he has the right to absolutely everything that is ours. Why does he share this? He says that Jesus came he came to live amongst us he brought light into the darkness he brings life into death he he wants to restore us in a relationship with god like i said we're moving reasonably quickly quickly Verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is what John wants us to do. To understand exactly who Jesus is that we might receive him. It's perfectly natural in some ways that the people who saw him as a carpenter, unemployed carpenter, didn't receive him. And John's going to go through in this gospel and show from his life that Jesus evidenced God in the things that he did. And he's going to show how he has brought God close to us by God himself coming to us. That's what he wants us to understand. People didn't receive him, and he wants to point out to us that we might receive him. What does it mean to receive Jesus? I think, again, it's a part of our cultural heritage in the Christian church at this time that we embrace those parts of receiving Jesus that fit the image that we have of Jesus as that loving saviour. So we come to believe in him to save us. We come to some sort of meeting, we come forward and we say a prayer and we're saved. That's not what John means. John means that when we receive him, we receive the entirety of who he is. And we recognize that and we respond to that. So it's not just that we come and we say, Lord, we want you to save us for that time in the future. We appreciate you coming and hugging us and doing all of this stuff. But he wants us to recognize and receive the creator of the universe, the one who owns everything every part of us, every breath, every thought, every action and receive him. Receiving for John, what he's trying to point out, is that it's every part of our life given to him because he already owns it. Living out our life for him. Now don't get me wrong. When we come to him and we ask him to forgive our sin and we commit our lives to him, he takes us and, as it says, here, he brings us and he makes us his child. And we have a certainty that we're his child and no one can take us from his hands. We belong to him, we're his. But if all our belief is, is that we now have a saviour, but that doesn't influence the rest of our life, then we have not received him that John is talking about. This is one of the reasons why I think people come forward time after time after time to give their lives to Jesus. We're going to have a a youth combined event here next Friday night, and there'll be an appeal given after the gospel is given, where people have an opportunity to respond to Christ, and it's quite right that they do so. Some of those who are responding will be doing it for the second or third or fourth time because they're not sure it worked the first time. Why is that? I think part of that is because they haven't seen the evidence of it in their life. They haven't seen the evidence of living under his Kingship. They haven't recognized as they've gone through lived their life that they belong to him. And so they come again wanting to be saved, but at times stepping back from that commitment to the one who made everything. But John says, I want to point you to Jesus, the Lord of the universe who loves you, who cares for you, who is gracious towards you who wants to surround you with his love because he wants to bring you into that relationship with God where you will recognise who God is and you'll respond to God as you're supposed to as a child. That's who John the Baptist pointed to. His cousin. Now, you've got to admit, these guys, if they're really close in relationship with like this, this guy ought to have known Jesus. I have lots of cousins... Not too many of them would I point to and say, that is Jesus, I mean, that's God. I, my cousins are pretty odd, maybe. But you think about your cousins. You grow up, you know them, would you point to them and say, hey, that's God. And yet John the Baptist was able to say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He, he recognized that the one he was pointing to was the Logos, the word of God, who brought order into the universe, who by his very action brought everything into being, who held everything together, who owned everything. John cried out, verse 15, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. See, in Jewish culture, the older has superiority over the younger in Chinese culture, true, right? The older has superiority. So John, being born a few months before Jesus, should have had superiority over him. And yet, John says, he surpasses me. Why? He came before me. I've got a few months here on earth, but he's from all eternity past. He has the supremacy and i point to him so that you also might be in a relationship towards him that's what he wants so how do we respond to that this morning firstly there are some people who have never come to respond to christ like that they've never recognized who jesus is he's god Not just a God who wants to have a little bit of influence in your life, but God who owns your life. He owns every part of your life. He comes back and you belong to him. He is the word from eternity past. That's who he is. He does save. He came so that we could be in that relationship. He came so that we could know God. He is the only one who knows God. He is God. He came to express what God is like. Sometimes people say, well, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. I like Jesus. John says Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. Jesus is God from eternity past. And in Jesus, we have this understanding of who God is. The love, the grace, the mercy, the kindness, the healing, that Jesus evidenced as he relates to us is what God is like. The glory and magnificence and holiness and righteousness that we see throughout the scriptures of God, that's what Jesus was like. Jesus evidences us for us, shows to us the relationship to have with God what God is like. And so for those people who haven't entered into that relationship with him, Why don't I encourage you to seriously think about that? This is who Jesus is. Think about your life. You can say, I don't want a part of him. Well, at this point in your life, he gives us freedom to do that. But understand this, he owns everything. It's his. There will come a time when everything is brought back and put in subjection under him and he will be judge of the whole earth because it's his earth, it's his world, it's his universe. And he asks us to be in that relationship with him now so that he can bring light and life and change and renewal and family. We've got himself into our lives at this point in time. So think about that. And I encourage you to respond to who Christ is to relate with him as God and to allow him to influence and change your whole life. There are some of you who have come to Christ. You are his children. But your view of him is not as the word, the creator of the universe, who owns you and every part of you. And you go from week to week Embracing your salvation, but not allowing the rest of your life to be transformed and changed. Receiving Christ, as John says, is that embracing, that recognition, that life transformation. That's what it means to be receiving Christ. So if you haven't done that, or if you haven't, if you look back on the last week, or the last month, or the last two months, or the last year, And you haven't seen that being drawn closer to God and that life transformation, then you need to reconsider your commitment to Christ, because that's what He calls for. He wants you to see Him as Lord. And there are those of you here who who have done that. You do recognize who Christ is. My encouragement for you is that you become like John the Apostle and and John the Writer. John, John the baptizer, who keep pointing to Jesus. That the reality of Christ as Lord of everything changed the way that you witness to him. The whole of the book of John is there to say, pointing to Christ. John the baptist is not me, it's Christ. And I would really encourage you to do that. Why? Because all those people that you know who don't recognize Christ are still owned by him. Jesus isn't my personal Lord. He's Lord of all. And if they don't recognize his Lordship, then one day they'll come in subjection under his judgment. And because he owns every part of me and every fiber and every thought, then my focus should be on him and I should be constantly pointing to him. And for me to keep that knowledge to myself and not share it, not witness, not point to Christ, it's not cowardice. It's an abomination. I should be pointing to Jesus through every opportunity that I take. So let me encourage you to do that. And for all of us, to worship. Worship the one who was before all time, who made all things and through whom all things are held together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the person of Jesus. I Thank you so much that you sent your son into the world that we might have a relationship with you. God made flesh. The eternal coming into time. The immense and infinite coming and taking on humanity. Humanity that we might know you. Father, I pray that you will keep us from being like those who didn't recognize Jesus and didn't receive him and didn't accept him and who worked against him. But rather, I pray that by the work of your spirit in our hearts and our minds, that you will help us to see Christ, the Messiah, Saviour, Lord, God. And that as we respond to your revelation of yourself, that our hearts might be changed, that we might be good servants, good children. Father, I pray for those here who have not yet, come in acknowledgement of who Christ is and put their faith and trust in him, not only for salvation but for all their lives, that they might do that this morning. I pray for those of us who do trust in Christ for our eternity. But struggle with trusting Christ for our every moment. Help us to realize that our every moment is already his. And that we're responsible to give it to you in your service. Father, encourage us to go into a world that is lost, that is dark, that has ignored their maker. And point the way to Christ. To lift Christ high and that all people might be drawn to him. Help us to do that. Father, on that day when we stand in your presence. In heaven. That we might hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant that we might know that we have truly pleased, praised, and worshipped you with our whole lives. Father, I ask these things in the amazing, wonderful, blessed, holy, magnificent name of our Saviour Jesus. Amen.